Eso. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The religious lawyers attacked Jesus and tested him, saying, Master, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, well, uh, the first is to love your neighbor, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then there's another one like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything that the Torah contained, the first five books of the Bible, everything that the prophets contained, everything else in the so-called Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, all of that, Jesus said, could be summarized or distilled in these two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The question is, how do those two things work out in reality? That's the principle, that's the overarching uh, statement that Christ gave to us concerning our lives and the balance of our lives. It has to do with God first and has to do with our position here on this planet concerning human beings that were made in God's image. But how do we work those things out? Is there a proper balance? Is it 100% all one way, 100% all the other way, or do we pick and choose from time to time what we're going to do? And what if, in our service of man, it becomes sort of a fetish for us, and in that fetish we begin to compromise on our alleged commitment to God? Then what? How do we live out this life on our planet faithfully before the Lord? Well, a fellow by the name of Augustine, back in the 5th century, wrote a book called City of God that describes the contrast between the city of God and the city of man. Throughout the ages, some have argued either that Christians should have nothing to do with the city of man, withdrawing into the Christian into Christian-only enclaves, or that Christians should have everything to do with the city of man, making themselves indistinguishable from the world. We see those two things, those two tensions, playing out dramatically even in America today. Some Christians did, in fact, engage with civics and petitioned elected leaders. They voted, they ran for office, they administered government in our history, but many more engaged in more subtle and sometimes broader ways. They wrote books, they practiced medicine, they created art, they showed hospitality, they exposed corruption, they raised kids, and they started businesses, they even cared for the poor, they worked hand-in-hand with the state sometimes, and others, well, at times endured the state's persecution. But they did all these things because they believed that by doing so, they followed Jesus and contributed to the spread of God's kingdom, which Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added unto you. So how 
are we supposed to live anyway? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to uh, engage in somewhat of a uh, back-and-forth conversation with our special guest, Michael Austin, who uh, is standing here uh, representing Christian History Magazine. Uh, this is one of my favorite publications of all time. Uh, I have almost all the issues that they have ever published, and they are encouraging, they're informative, they're transformative, depending on how you choose to read them. And today, we talk about the city of man, Christian civic engagement throughout history. So, Michael, it's good to have you back on the program. It's great to be with you, Chuck, and uh, thank you for that wonderful introduction. As you usually do, you have framed this subject extremely well, so thank you for that. This is an amazing story, isn't it? Well, it is. Framing, of course, requires a framework. And uh, today, uh, here above the broadcast studio, there is construction going on to tear down as Jeremiah said, God, God told Jeremiah, said, I've come to tear down and then to build up. Well, that's what's going on here above our studio here today. So you might actually hear, friends, some banging, some clanging, and whatever, thumping. But don't be concerned. We're not being attacked by the Russians or the Chinese. So today on Viewpoint, we're going to be taking a look at this matter of the tension between the city of man and the city of God. And indeed, Michael, there is a tension, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. This is one of the biggest uh, <clears throat> points of tension that uh, Christians, believers, experience in their everyday life. Um, the question was raised in Acts when uh, a group of people received the Holy Spirit. And uh, very quickly thereafter, they said, how then should we live? What should we do? Right. So that question looms large for all all Christians if they're paying attention. Now, there's a lot of us that are not paying attention, but uh, in these times today, um, our, our attention is is being called, isn't it? It's uh, we are being called to attention. Well, they're paying the price because they haven't been paying attention too. Yes. <laughs> There's always yeah. something to be paid. And uh, it's interesting when you go back into American history, uh, we know that in the early days, in the uh, early 1600s and so on, with the Pilgrims and then the Puritans and so on, there was a, a very uh, definite trend toward the city of God uh, as opposed to the concept of the city of man. On the other hand, what they realized was, in order to live out the vision for the city of God, they had to do some pretty serious things with regard to the city of man. In other words, taking care of one another, governing one another, taking care of responsibilities. So that by the time uh, Alexis de Tocqueville came along, that secular Frenchman in the early 1800s after our nation's political birth, he noticed something very interesting about this country. Uh, in fact, the very first thing that he noticed that uh, he wrote about in his book, Democracy in America, is how the Christian faith actually governed the entire society. Uh, not only the city of God, so to speak, in other words, not only the church, 
but how the church itself, how the Christian people in the country affected the rest of the country so that, he said, it's not as is everybody in the country is a Christian, but it's like the rule of God, the fear of the Lord, the word of God, governed the entire way in which the country thought, did business, conducted their families. In other words, the city of God and the city of man were merged. Doesn't it seem like that? Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. We we owe to Tocqueville a tremendous debt. <clears throat> he saw uh, the reality of America. <clears throat> he interpreted it as extremely accurately and well. Well, we're going to pick up on that after the break, Michael. Sorry to lead you on there, but we'll be right back, friends. This is Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismeyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Our special guest today, Michael Austin, representing Christian History Magazine. He's joined us generally almost once a month to talk about the latest issue of Christian History Magazine because it's worthwhile talking about it. Every single magazine issue is devoted to one theme, one subject, one theme. And today we're taking a look at this matter of the city of man. What is the city of man? in contrast to the city of God. Abraham, we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, went out looking for a city whose foundation and maker was God. He was a pilgrim. He was an alien in this world. Then we're told by the Apostle Paul that you also and I are supposed to be pilgrims and aliens in this world, in the world but not of it. So, If we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it, then do we have any responsibility in the world to be part of the city of man, or is our total responsibility to be solely about the city of God? That's where the tension is here today on Viewpoint. Our special guest, Michael Austin, translating this for us. Michael, I had to interrupt you there as we went into the break, but we were talking about de Tocqueville. Yes, yes, of course. Um, um, no, I'm just observing that, uh, and, and your description <clears throat> underscored this, that, um, you know, had he not done that, had he not come and observed and documented, I think this country would be very different. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, America just kind of, kind of, flows along with so much uh, gusto and so much uh, invention, or at least it used to. <laughs> uh, yeah, that uh, people, uh, you know, for one thing, take it for granted, and don't we do that with everything, uh, particularly everything good that we find, we take it for granted and just assume, well, that's the way it is. Uh, what's next? But uh, 
in answer to your question that, that you asked um, about how then should we live, I think it was answered by our Savior. And uh, he, he made it very clear. As a matter of fact, his last commandment was, um, well, he framed it by saying, all things have been given to me. And I want you to go forward and share this gospel of mine uh, to the far reaches of the world. Now, I'm paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. but that's basically what he said. He sent us on a mission. He gave us a a commission. He commissioned us to to do that. Now, people have interpreted that in several different ways instead of taking it literally. (laughs) This is another thing that we tend to do. Um, you know, we kind of nuance it and we kind of make it into what we would like it to be. But what he's talking about is sharing the gospel and what is his gospel um, of, of late. And this, this issue actually uh, encouraged me in this thinking that uh, Jesus, our Savior, talked about the kingdom of God. Right. In fact, that is his theme uh, the kingdom of God, if you uh, go first to Matthew 6.33, he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then everything else will be added unto you. But then also he gave us the attitudes of the kingdom in the Beatitudes, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we find that uh, uh, throughout the scripture that there's something about the kingdom of God. In fact, we, t- we find right there in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the government, mm-hmm. that's his kingdom. The government shall mm-hmm. be upon his shoulder. It's not earthly government that he's talking about. It's a totality of kingdom rulership. Therefore, ultimately, when he returns, Christ is referred to as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the fulfillment of the kingdom at that point, isn't it? Very hard. Yes, it is. And, but very hard to grasp by exactly. uh, we today because we don't live in a kingdom. Um, folks that uh, Paul was talking to did. And so... Uh, you know, his his writings in, include this um, uh, admonition, if you will, direction. Um, you know, if you really want to know the, the um, will of God, there it is, that we enter into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says that um, uh, unless you're righteous, you won't even see the kingdom of God. That's true. Unless you be a so little child, you can't see the kingdom, he said. Yes, yes. So innocence um, and righteousness, and what do those things lead to? They lead to the recognition of our problem, which is sin. And what does that lead us to? That leads us to repentance. And that was his message right there. Right. Now, to the extent, um, was, that, to the extent however, that we don't buy into that, then we create alternatives we don't much like the idea of repentance because that requires that we know, own up to our sin and responsibility. So today, the preaching is about come and be healed, not come and repent. 
So we just want to get rid yes. of the consequences that we don't feel good about our sin, but we don't want to call it sin because then I'm responsible and I don't have to respond to the kingdom requirement. When Pontius mm-hmm. Pilate came to Jesus, or Jesus was in front of Pontius Pilate, he was being tested over, is your kingdom of this world or what? And Jesus said, no, uh, I, I'm not here to be to be messing with your Roman governorship. I'm here. My kingdom is not of this world. He made that very clear. The problem with that, Michael, is that people will say, see, Jesus said we're not to be involved in this world. My kingdom is not of this world. But wasn't Jesus involved in this world? Isn't that how he manifested the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Yep. This is a he tremendous was involved. He was engaged. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it requires discernment. He wants us to uh, discern what it is that he is telling us to do, and it it does take uh, it does take discernment and maturity, and I think that's what he's talking about. That without that, you will not see the kingdom of God. Well, I can't but entering speak, upon that. Yeah, I, I can't speak for your life, Michael. I know you're, you've given yourself to uh, kingdom purposes. I, I know that. I'm totally confident of that. You and I have developed quite a relationship over the years, and uh, we understand that in the life of one another. But I, I'm thinking back. I grew up in a pastor's home, and uh, my parents thought that I, as the firstborn, was going to be a pastor, just like my father. Well, uh, when I entered into the practice of law and went to law school, my mother was deeply concerned. She felt mm. that I had betrayed the kingdom of God. She really did. It's not that mm-hmm. she thought I wasn't a Christian. She thought I was betraying the kingdom of God by not following in the shoes of my father. So I practiced law for 20 years, but what she didn't realize was that the practice of law gave me a platform to speak the teachings of the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom, all over Southern California, such that wherever my father went, he found that I had been there before him speaking. It was Mm -hmm. funny. So there are different ways that God can provide for us to speak into the kingdom, to be part of the kingdom of God, and still be a significant part of the kingdom of man. Praise the Lord for that. And uh, this issue includes many, many different ways that people have confronted this tension and uh, and dealt with it in their lives, and boy, is there a lot to learn. Well, there really um, is, and you know, the more you and I are getting into it here, uh, we could probably spend several hours Uh, just chatting about this. But one of the things that I see here uh, in a particular article from Stephen Presley called about living by a higher authority. He says, the church never developed a particular strategy or method of cultural engagement. And he's talking about the early church. They never developed a particular strategy or method of Mm -hmm. cultural engagement. Mm -hmm. Christians were not anxiously looking for the latest program or innovation. 
they understood that cultural engagement began not in the streets, but within the gathered community, the church gathered, united through teaching and discipleship. In other words, obeying God. Members of the early church committed to the tenets of good citizenship, being what early apologists could argue were the most faithful and dedicated citizens of all in the Roman Empire. Now, yes. it's, it's amazing. This is what um, allowed them, the Christians, that is, to penetrate into every strata, every profession, every, uh, and nation after nation. They, they weren't concerned about these worldly uh, segments, these worldly uh, segregations. They were everywhere, and they were growing. I mean, this this is an amazing, uh, historic, from a historical point of view, when you see, uh, you know, coming along Eusebius and, uh, and uh, Augustine. Uh, by the time they, they were on the scene, which is in the uh, 300s, 400s, um, 300s really, uh, the... Um, the the growth of the Christian population was uh, exploding, and um, and then of course, and it, it was in spite of persecution. In fact, the persecution was feeding that. And they didn't um, have an evangelistic program. That's right. Isn't they that had wonderful? no programs. They were living the life, and as a result of That's- living the life of the city of God, the kingdom of God, they affected the kingdoms of man. May I say to you that there's a, uh, there's a, a, a secret revealed in that. Mm. And that is, that is that I believe they were led by the Spirit, not by a program made up by men. And that's what allowed them to adjust. It allowed them to go wherever they uh, found themselves, and uh, and it also allowed them to wait on God to move, and boy was he moving! Because uh, look what happened to Constantine. Constantine comes along in um, in in three hundred, mm-hmm. uh, and and he he discovers the power of the cross and of the Christian faith to unite the nation of Rome that was now terribly divided and on the verge of uh, destruction. So he seizes that opportunity. Some say it was just a political decision. Others say, no, he was moved by the vision of the cross. Whatever it was, he made a decision. We're going to talk a little bit more about the implication of that when we get back from this upcoming break. But I want you to give an opportunity to our listeners to understand how they can get uh, Christian History, the magazine. Uh, this is oh, yeah. issue 141, which means there have been a lot of issues, and uh, they're very, very important. How can people get it? That's really easy on the Internet. Uh, three W's, uh, ChristianHistoryMagazine.org, O-R-G. Go there, and uh, there's a great electronic uh, reader where you can read all of these issues. I think there's only a couple missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, since the inception of the um, uh, of the magazine, and um, you can also subscribe. By the way, you can't pay for a, scripture, a subscription. 
uh, you can only donate. And by the way, if there's a financial issue, you don't need to donate. They will send you, at, at no cost, uh, a year subscription to this wonderful quarterly magazine. And, um, yeah, it's all there freely available on the, um, on the Internet. And um, uh, it, it's a wealth of, of information, a search engine, so that you can uh, look up your favorite characters and your favorite events and, and follow along. Uh, really with a, a, a library, uh, a, a university library of information. This is a, a way to access history uh, that affects our lives in ways that is almost impossible to find out there. Again, it's called uh, uh, Christian History. That's the magazine. And today we're talking about the issue City of Man, Christian Civic Engagement Through the Ages. We're going to get into that a little more deeply as we get back to the program, friends. Stay tuned. You're listening to Viewpoint. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. City of God versus city of man. Are they two mutually exclusive? Are they overlapping? Are they congruent? How do we understand the difference between what God requires of us on this planet to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and are living together with others who don't have that vision commonly referred to as the city of man. The gradual work of church cultural engagement there in Rome, the first century on to the third century, paid off. More converse with each passing generation, like we were talking about. But they didn't have a program. They didn't have an evangelistic program. They didn't have a Here's Life America program that Dr. Bill Bright started years ago in the 70s. They didn't have an evangelistic explosion program like D. James Kennedy did. No, they didn't have any programs. All they did was tell one another about the good news and live it out. And then apply it, just as Jesus had said, to love your neighbor as yourself, even as you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, along came a fellow by the name of Constantine. He came to the throne in 306 A.D. Almost overnight, Christians went from being mistrusted in Rome and abused to being favored. So Constantine ended the formal persecution of the church in 313 and began building churches all over the empire. Well, what happened? 
Well, the hope of Christendom then, a civil society permeated with Christian authorities, where Christianity was the dominant force, was now possible. But that hope would not deliver. Because as the relationship between church and civil society fundamentally transformed the church, it struggled to maintain, that is, the church struggled to maintain its own purity amid political pressures. So the church became the world. The church, being freed from persecution now, became, as it were, the city of man and gradually abandoned the city of God. So that struggle paved the way for a a book written by Augustine. It was a, a momentous event in the empire's history that set him on a course to write one of the most important contributions called The City of God. And Augustine rejected the vision of Constantine that equated the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Rome. Instead, what he did was cast a different vision of the relationship between church and state for Christian civic engagement. Now, let's leap forward from ancient Rome to modern America. Don't we have exactly the same problem, Michael Austin, here in America? I mean, isn't that really what happened with regard to the rise of the moral majority in 1978-79? Wasn't it an effort to somehow do exactly what Constantine did and to convert the nation not through the gospel of Jesus Christ, but by taking dominion and somehow creating a, as if the kingdom of God and the kingdom and, 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 and men who were unregenerate could be the same thing. Absolutely. This, this is what we do over and over again. I, instead of trusting in him and waiting on him, we become presumptuous. Mm. Uh, that's a word that's worth studying in the Bible. It really is. Uh, we, yeah, we presume to know what we should do. And um, so, there. Were, yes, from the very beginning here, what is described is um, the idea that we need to um, manifest heaven on earth in order for the Savior to come back. Well, that's there are those biblical. who believe that, in fact, that's not just a <laughs> uh, among many Christians, that's a Jewish belief, that they have to do well, certain good works, mitzvah, in order to usher in the mm-hmm. Messiah. Yes, and, and didn't Jesus admonish them for that? Um, he got on their case big time, um, because it was a misunderstanding of the law. The law doesn't uh, is, is not by which we are saved. We're saved by faith and grace. But, um, like, like I mentioned earlier in the, in, in the uh, show, the, um, you know, Jesus informs us that we, we have to be righteous, because if we're not doing right, I think what he's saying is that you have to desire righteousness. What is that? That's, that's desiring the will of God. Exactly. It's right waysness yeah. before God. Yes. Yes, and that's where he wants us. He wants us desiring his will. It's very clear. Um, you know, if, if somebody asks you, well, what's God's will? You say, well, you know, read the Ten Commandments for starters. Um, that's what he gave his chosen people. 
Uh, that must be his will, and indeed it is. And, and, you know, our culture, the West, has been living on those pillars of, of law and commandment for, uh, you know, since its inception. And now we are seeing the result of, um, of shifting away from those pillars of, uh, of the will of God. It's and, very uh, interesting. You know, can I, can I uh, just interject here? Please. Uh, yes. I, I personally struggled with this. Uh, Haven't we all? I, I, I ran for the state legislature in California twice, hmm. 1976 and 1978. I felt that God uh, motivated me to do that. It was a virtually mm-hmm. impossible task to do it uh, because I ended up running against the dean of the California Assembly. Uh, but people, people began to see the difference in my campaign as compared to others. And uh, it made a difference. It also helped to establish a platform for me to continue to move forward with a focus on the kingdom of God as expressed in doing God's will in the kingdom of men among uh, pagans. So even pagans came alongside and said, you know what? If you run again, I want to support you. It, it was amazing. Some, some guy came alongside. He had this big stogie hanging out of his mouth. And he said, you know what? I watched you run this last campaign. He said, that was amazing. If you do it again, you got my, you've, you've got my support. So we don't know. You can't program things like that. What we are called to do is live faithfully, not programmically, but faithfully. In nineteen, thank you. In, in two thousand two, I came out with my uh, first book uh, called "Renewing the Soul of America." It was endorsed by thirty-eight Christian leaders. Mm. You know what they discovered different about that book? It wasn't all about the kingdom of man. It was about the kingdom of God that had to be worked out in our lives so that we could affect the city of man. Yes. It was a completely, radically different approach. So Christian leaders endorse the book. And isn't it interesting that every single chapter begins with a heading superimposed over it? Let me just give an idea of what this means. There is no national character without personal character. No national character without personal character. A house with a crumbling foundation will soon be a crumbling house. In other words, our own homes. It begins at home. I must be what I should be if I would do what I must do. This whole idea of being has escaped us in this generation. If I would have virtue, I must be virtuous. If I would have morality, I must be moral. If I would have goodness, I must be good. If I would hear the truth, I must tell the truth. On and on, every single chapter, I must sow what I should sow if I would reap what I should reap. You know, you're describing the kingdom of God. That's the way people behave who are in the kingdom of God. They keep his commandments. They obey. They maintain and they behave 
like they're saved. They behave like they believe in God instead of <laughs> behaving <laughs> instead of behaving like they believe themselves. This is something that uh, uh, Stephen Presley, and you mentioned his article, mm-hmm. uh, brings out about Augustine. Augustine discovered that the problem is that people have self-love instead of love for God. Mm. And that that is a destructive, a very destructive influence in people's lives because that is what allows them to pursue the uh, the lusts of their sinful heart. And yet that is exactly Which, what Dr. Robert Schuler said openly. He said, look, I consider it abuse to tell people they're sinners. They don't need to be told they're sinners. What they need is more self-esteem. Direct quote. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh. And he was supposed well, to be one of the greatest evangelical leaders of the day. Well, he was and, uh, and had many followers. And uh, leading well many people uh, astray to, to substitute yes. the kingdom, the viewpoint of the kingdom of man versus or, or superimposed over the kingdom of God. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, Augustine identified two cities um, and said that uh, you find out who you are by what you love. You either love um, the things of this earthly uh, creation or you love the creator. And, of course, uh, we, we Christians, we believers, uh, that's very, very clear who we are to love and who we are to follow. And, um, you know, this is something wonderful about the kingdom of God, because once you start to think of that, that's a community. That's a community of, of people uh, uh, extolling and, and seeking righteousness. Yeah. And it's so, not a cultish uh, idea. It's not a cultish no, not. idea where you withdraw yeah. from the rest of society in that sense. No, you're gathered together. The church gathered is to be strengthened, encouraged, built up, corrected in righteousness. So when they go out to live their lives being true followers of Jesus Christ, they will make a difference. We'll be right back. That is what the... Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of man? What kingdom do you live in? Where are we, where do we get our primary values? To what are we actually dedicated? 
Do we actually have a vision for the kingdom of God? Or is it all about this planet? Well, the kingdom of God is to be lived out on this planet. It's our influence, both individually and collectively, that is the greatest gift that we can give to our unregenerate friends, neighbors, communities. That's what we're talking about here today on Viewpoint. And we live in this incredible tension. Let's do something concrete here, uh, because to many people this may sound a little theoretical. So Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, uh, dealt with this issue, and one of the things that he did was to write about the role of marriage in living out the kingdom of God. You remember that? This is wonderful. Um, Luther was, I mean, every time I read his, uh, his work, it's just amazing how contemporary he is, and uh, his message and his expression um, is, is what people need to hear today. Um, and, he, and he spelled it out. I mean, he, he uh, codified, if you will, uh, how people should behave, how believers should behave. Yeah. Earlier, I, I think out of my mouth came, uh, 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 you know, behave like you're a saved Christian. Yeah. And um, this is what is so wonderful about, uh, about the kingdom of God, the concept of it, the fact that we are invited to uh, uh, come into it and to start living it and understanding it. So, and isn't it amazing that this uh, uh, Catholic monk um, discovered the blessing of, of marriage and married his wonderful wife, Kate, and, um, and, and what a legacy of, um, of developing the, the core of Western civilization, which, of course, is the nuclear family, mom and dad and children. Well, we don't believe that, that today is- in America. In fact, every effort by 50% of this country with a D behind its name is to tear down the nuclear family. That's their goal. That's how we know. That's how we know how important the family is. Yes, because that that is being attacked from every side. All right. Um, Luther yeah, wrote everybody. a book called "The Estate of Marriage" in 1522, and in there he defended marriage against the understanding that somehow it re- represented a lesser way of following Christ than sh- say like. Uh, the monastic vows of celibacy, where the monks would go uh, away and vow celibacy and so on. Uh, that also became part of the uh, the Catholic priests. Uh, it wasn't written in the Bible, but they adopted that as if that would make them more righteous. The problem with that is that it went against the very foundations of creation and God's intent, uh, creative intent to form families yeah. and that husbands and wives would display the glory of God under and with the Holy Spirit and produce children who would follow in righteousness. So now we have defied that in the United States of America that was formed on this basic vision for the family, a godly family, a husband and a wife, the Holy Spirit and the children. 
to this very day, just we're making this really practical. This very day, I received a notice that one of the most prolific Christian writers in the country on radio, on television, and writing dozens of books about marriage and the family just announced a divorce. Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, it's, it's this is the kind of thing that is telling the world, you guys aren't real. Mm. You're phonies. Why should we follow you when you can't even follow God? It, I, yes. I, I'm, I'm remembering yes. just a few, Go ahead. Well, I, it's, it's something that I appreciate about this magazine, by the way. And that is, it does it. It doesn't paint everything as a, a rosy, uh, you know, with rose-colored glasses. Right. Um, it tells the truth. For instance, in uh, Presley's article, he, he makes that statement, which you repeat, repeated, and I'm so glad that you did. Uh, the challenge was when the when the Christians became empowered, and of course Constantine empowered them, and the Christians uh, came into power. Um, you know, the church struggled to maintain purity and uh, amid political pressure. This is something that was brought out in the uh, uh, a couple of issues ago on, on the university, that the university was a great hope for the civilization. And now what we have is a university that uh, has thrown the Bible out into the gutter yeah. and uh, considers the, the Christians to be the problem in the world. Not it's become the, the curse on the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, uh, it, it started at the very beginning because the Christians were so emboldened and so challenged by having come into uh, what we might say is power and started this uh, amazing institution that became the university. They, they, their thinking was that they could get along with uh, philosophers and, um, and, you know, share the gospel with philosophers. Well, amen, that's what we should do. But when we put them on equal footing with the gospel, look what happened. In the world, the, um, the pagans, and, and by the way, uh, Zimmerman, the author of that article, said even uh, with philosophers, uh, we, we could uh, fellowship with uh, philosophers, even pagans philosophers. And of course, we know who those were, those were the Greeks and the, and yeah. the other cultures. Um, and today, we have to look at that university and we have to, we have to admit, you know what, they, they won the day. They, um, they got rid of God's truth. And they can't even figure out, they, they deny that there is a truth. And they can't figure out if, if a person is a man or a woman. Well, what an abomination. Yeah. Well, it's not just the universities now. It's uh, our nonprofit organizations and even Christian nonprofit organizations. Uh, mm. I'm thinking about, and again, we're talking about this struggle of the tension between the kingdom of God and the kingdom or city of man. The city of God or the city of man. Uh, probably one of the most uh, revered, uh, respected nonprofits is the Salvation Army. Mm. Started there oh in England, 
and uh, mm-hmm. you know William Booth and Evangeline Booth and so on. Uh, my father was a Salvation Army officer. My mother was a Salvation Army mm-hmm. officer. Both of their parents mm-hmm. were Salvation Army officers. I know a little bit about the Salvation oh, yeah. Army. If it weren't for that, I wouldn't even be here because my father was holding an an evangelistic crusade at 28 years of age, and my mother was the Mm. piano player. Their eyes met, and the rest is history. So (laughs) William William Booth was a was you know when he died, probably had he had a larger funeral than the King of England. Yeah, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. A legitimate application of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. by meeting the needs of man gradually over time became distorted and perverted. So that just yeah. two or three months ago, the Salvation Army came out and publicly embraced, embraced critical race theory. Yes. Why did so they sad. do that? They did that because they were playing the game of the city of man. They wanted to ingratiate themselves to the city of man for money. The net result Mm -hmm. of it was they lost huge donations from the city of God. As they should. As they should. should. And this kind of compromise is taking place everywhere. The same thing happened with the largest uh nonprofit christian nonprofit in the world mm. world vision mm. a few yep. years ago in fact uh, a friend of mine was on the board of world vision mm. uh but what what happened mm. there is they wanted to uh uh be accepted in the broader world they brought board members on supposedly to carry out the work of the kingdom of god but these people they brought on were pagans they were unbelievers, mm-hmm. non-believers, and they gradually turned the heart of the organization, World Vision, so that a few years ago, they embraced the homosexual movement and actually had a board member come on it. The board actually went along with this. Well, this stirred up a hornet's nest in the broader Christian community. How could they do that? They did it because they gradually gravitated to the lordship of the city of man rather than the kingdom of God. That's how they did it. Yes. Yes. This is a huge tension that we're facing. Yes. We cannot worship mammon and him. No. Just can't do it. uh, All right. mm -hmm. Now, uh, as we have made applications, and we could make more and more applications— uh, here, I mean, it's, it's it's not enough just to talk about theories about the city of God and the city of man. It has to be applied so that we can see how it really works out. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he wasn't kidding, was he? No. No. <laughs> so, when money and power and influence becomes something that we seek, we know we've swung over from the city of God to the city of man, haven't we? Yes, and um, you know these some of these uh, other articles in in this uh, issue mm-hmm. uh, take take that on of uh, how this um, 
you know, the, the, the tension as you describe it, uh, played, has played out in, in so, so many different, uh, realms, so many different, uh, uh, fields of, of, uh, of, uh, social work, uh, education, theology. Um, the and, whole social gospel thing came out of this. That's right. In the early 1900s. Yes. And of course, there was, there were some, uh, amazing examples. There's a story of two women that I, I just appreciate so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, J- Josephine Baker is one, um, and, uh, Catherine Bushnell. And you know what? Both of them were, uh, should have been leaders of the feminist movement, uh, which should have been very different than what it was. Um, they should have been uh, heroes and leaders in that, but they were ignored. Why? Because they uh, were faithful to uh, the Bible. They were faithful to the Christian faith. And um, it, it's so sad that these, these wonderful movements, these wonderful social movements that the Christians uh, made institutions mm-hmm. uh, have been corrupted by the 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 evil one yeah. who of course is is heading up the the, the city of man one of the principal uh, ones is the boy scouts the boy scouts yes uh, were started by uh, general uh, mm-hmm. uh baden powell and uh mm-hmm. it's been so seriously corrupted that uh in the pursuit of homosexuality that uh, they basically lost their influence in the country and so that which was a tremendous influence for the kingdom of God has now uh, just been totally uh, upset uh, in the kingdom of man, the city of man, and has lost its influence. All right, Christian well, history, I, I, city of hmm. man, Christian civic engagement through the ages. Michael Austin, representative uh, there who comes on uh, regularly here to talk about this. Get a copy of this, uh, friends. ChristianHistory.com. ChristianHistory.com. No, .org. ChristianHistoryMagazine.org. Oh, I'm sorry. ChristianHistoryMagazine.org. Now you got this straight from the horse's mouth. God bless and be a blessing. (laughs) You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.